say something? Check one, two, check one, two. There's about what I'm going to be talking until I'm laughing and I'm told that I laugh too loud. So I'll probably pull back when I laugh. <laughs> uh, that sounds good to me. Perfect. Sounds good. Okay. And three, two. Yeah. Silent. Ooh, that was really good. Nice. I liked it. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit. A podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, uh, episode 5. So I think we've broken our streak of failing at things after three attempts. So we did that last week and we're still going strong. That's true, but we're still in the prime numbers. That's true. Once we hit 10, though, I mean, we've <laughs> accomplished everything and we can quit ahead. That's, yeah. what, I, that's what I say. Um, but welcome, everyone. I am Trevor L. Nelson. I'm Alex Dark. And today we're going to talk about how to shoot a short film over one weekend. You know Ooh. what I'm saying? Like a like a 24-hour, 48-hour... Should you, unless you um, need to. 36-hour film festival type scenario. Maybe you're on a, a time crunch. That's what we're talking about today. All right, cool. Yeah, we've had our experience doing this yeah. many times. But uh, before we get into that, Alex, what are we drinking today? Today we're drinking Miller Lite. Mm-hmm. Alex has got a um, wedding coming up, and he's got to look slim and trim, so we're going with the light beer today. Yeah, we are. Something a little more refreshing. Um, uh, he's got to fit into that suit of his. I do. Look all um, sweet and luckily, pretty. Luckily, though, they make the suit to fit me. Yeah. So I'm not worried about not fitting in the suit. I'm more worried about looking like a like a fat blob of fabric. <laughs> and luckily, I do believe those suits have elastic, uh, elastic waist waist straps on the side there, so you kind of tighten That's them up. That's true. It's a swoot nah. that I'm going to be wearing, a yeah. swoot. I'm going moo-moo for the, for the thing, so it just kind of looks like I'm wearing uh, bedding, just a big giant sheet. Yeah, it's a Greek wedding. <laughs> yeah, even though neither of them are Greek. Um, so yeah, we're sipping on a little bit of middle of light, and we're going to talk about what's new with us. So what is yeah. new with us, Alex? Well, first I'd like to point out that this episode is not sponsored by Miller Light. Yeah, sadly. Um, we're just drinking it. So, yeah. just letting you know. <laughs> um, I'm glad you mentioned it because I think last uh, last episode you said that I always have my hand out looking for sponsors. So I'm glad you took the the reins on this one and, and kind of called out Miller Lite for not sponsoring us yet. I just want to make sure that we don't get sued Ooh. for making people think that we are sponsored by people. No, that's true. No, we're not, we definitely we're not. aren't. We are far from being sponsored by anybody. Yeah. Um, so, um, other than that, what's new? What's new with um, us? What's new with yeah. you? Let's see. What's new? Well, for the podcast, we're working on uh, getting transcriptions up. Uh, Trevor spent a lot of time working on that today. Uh, we tried a Ugh. bunch of different things, you know, using the old YouTube uh, caption creator yeah. and then also some AI uh, I mean, solutions. It should come as no surprise that this is not a well-funded podcast. Um, you know, we don't make any money out of it. It's we, no budget filmmaking podcast. Yeah, there why, you would, go. why would we spend a ton of money exactly. on a podcast so that's about no budget things? Staying, staying true to our title, um, we're trying to find the cheapest possible way to turn our audio files into transcripts for you lovely people to read if you want to after the fact. Um, not easy. Not easy. And mind-lumbingly no. slow. 
And um, the podcasts are long. Yeah. They're over an hour so far. Surprise, the way we so talk. So it's very difficult to, or time consuming. Yeah. It's not really difficult. It's time consuming and tedious. Yeah. And if you get, you're getting into the cheaper stuff, you're using more AI and um, not people listening to it. It's just kind of data crunching through the audio and coming up with the best transcription it can put out. And let me tell you, that transcription is not very good. No, but um, surprisingly, YouTube did the best. YouTube did the best. It's probably because they have the Google monies behind it, but YouTube did the best of punching out a, a transcript. Now we just got to format it, and that's going to take even more time. So we're going to hold off on <laughs> posting up the transcripts until we get a little money into this and can possibly pay someone to format it for us because it is time-consuming, and we have a lot of other stuff we need to work on as well. That's exactly right. But that's not to say that we're not going to be putting up the show notes like we mentioned at the end of every yeah. episode because yeah. we are going to do a little summary plus a recap of what we talked about and then links to uh, things that we talk about, everything. Yes. but just not an actual word for word transcript. Um, so the best way to hear all this information coming at you is best way to hear it. The best way to get all this mm-hmm. information coming at you is just to listen to the podcast. Just to hear it through your earballs. Oh, you make it sound so beautiful. Yes, I do. Um, we are also in the process of setting up a forum on the Cinema Summit website, a place where everyone can go and kind of chat, ask us questions that we'll answer on later podcasts, um, talk to one another, just kind of get a community going about no-budget filmmakers, kind of the best re- uh, resources you can have are people who've done it before you. Um, so, you know, when we get that up and running, we'll let you know and go on there and talk amongst yourselves and ask questions and post reviews and ask people what you should buy or what you should rent or what they think of this that you did. I mean, it's, we've said this many times, filmmaking is a communal effort. It is not one person, one vision. It is everyone in this together. So we just want to make it easier for everyone out there. Yeah. And I think. Trevor and I have both been in the position before where we've been stuck on something. A lot of times it's post stuff because, you know, life computers are very uh, upsetting. Ugh. 90% of the time they'll fail you. Yeah. Um, so I've had to go online and actually like check out a form and post something up. And you'll be amazed at how quickly people will be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I've, I've experienced that before. Because no matter how unique your pro- you think your problem is, it's not unique. Everyone's faced it. And I think I go on probably, oh, I'd say I go on forums about maybe once or twice a week. But if I am opening After Effects and I haven't used it in a while, it's probably once or twice a minute. Because After Effects is so easy to forget if you don't use it all day. I have nothing but respect for VFX artists who use it day in and day out. Well, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, uh, I mean... <laughs> Just making yourself look thinner is not making you a VFX artist. Listen, it's important. Okay, <laughs> if it's good enough for Scarlet J, it's good enough for me. <laughs> wow. Wow, throwing Scarlet J in there, name dropping someone we've never <laughs> met. All right. Um, and also, we are rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. We said last time that we are going to send out our scripts to a couple places, a couple competitions. Um, so we're in the process of rewriting that, making it a little more horror making it a little less dialogue less talky, and a little more. Um, you know, more visually appealing. Um, if if you heard us last time, we are big fans of A Quiet Place. And hey, if that movie can't teach you anything, all it can teach you is that you don't need that much dialogue to make a great movie. That's true. In fact, sometimes less is more. Yes, and we need to remind ourselves that over and over again. But we're rewriting our scripts, uh, sending them out to people, hoping to get them, uh, I don't know, somebody to look at them, see what they think. Uh, also sending them out to friends to get their opinions, but... That means we rewrite, 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 rewrite. Ooh, five times fast. I said, I think I said it four times, kind of slow. 
Um, yeah, that was pretty slow. Yeah. Um, let's not pat ourselves on the back too much here. Okay. Okay. All right. So on to the main topic, Alex. Take All it right. So how to shoot a short over one weekend. That's the topic. All right. So my question to you is why would you ever want to shoot a short over a weekend? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons you could potentially want to. The first obvious one to me would be for all these competitions and things mm-hmm. that pop up, like the road reel, or if you are entering into a um, uh, 24-48 hour film competition. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to I, at USC they had the Edward Film Festival, which was a 24 hour film competition. Ooh. And man, that was always pretty rough, but it was really yeah. fun. And then all of a sudden, I, I didn't even realize there were 48-hour competitions. And I yeah. was like, man, what a luxury to have two days. <laughs> it's crazy. Like jackpot. Um, but we've also come across things for uh, projects like um, Tongle or mm-hmm. other types of competitions where they have a deadline and all of a sudden, like you don't even hear about it until just oh the week before. So you're prepping and whatever you're planning on doing it and you're working around your schedule and you end up having to do it in two days or something like that. Um, another instance you'll run into is, um, you know, you'll, you, a post going up on Gilded Cinema soon is going to be about uh, camera and equipment choices and all that. And, you know, people like cameras, have specific love for certain cameras, like the Alexa or the, um, uh, you know, I mean, hell, for us, the V35. And sometimes you do run into a situation where you have access to a camera for a very short period of time or access to actors or access to um, a, a location. location. Yeah, definitely uh, a location. Jinx. You owe me a soda. Damn. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, you have access to something that's that, you know, could really heighten your production value and being a no-budget filmmaker, you wanted to use it, that to your advantage. So, you know, you may have someone who says, hey, man, you know, I rented this camera. Um, it's already paid for. Um, we're done shooting on Friday. I don't have to return it to Monday. Do you want to use it or do you want to shoot something with with me on it over the weekend? And you have to just, you know, it's it's just a necessity of use it or lose it. So you want to just run out there and shoot a short real quick to get something on your reel or to show somebody that, hey, I shot on the Alexa or I shot on, you know, a red 8K um, uh, just to kind of spruce up yourself a little bit. Yeah, or if you have, like you said, access to a location. We shot something at a location where we there was a limited window of access because they were they were doing construction on it, mm-hmm. and so we knew it was like this really cool kind of eerie, uh, dungeony kind of vibe, and we knew that uh, it was not going to be around for very long. So we incorporated that into a project we had to shoot pretty quickly. And we ended up shooting that one, I think, in 48 hours. 48 hours. And even more shocking is me and Alex were the only crew and actors on that thing, except we had a couple other actors that were there for a short period. But for the most part, we were shooting at 2 in the morning in this very creepy area, and it was just me and Alex. And we would, if we were, I think there was one scene where we had to be on camera at the same time. So we just set the camera up, set the focus took the shot and in this day and age you're able to see your shot after you're done with it and see if it was good and then move on um so that was an, an instance where we had access to a location and we had no other option if we wanted to use it we just it, it was free it was about to go bye-bye um so we decided we we're gonna suck it up and not sleep and shoot as much as we could yeah so on these projects that we've done we've done a few of them now how do you think they've gone just in general do you think they were successful would you 
change anything? Do you think we can improve, or did we just nail it every time? <laughs> Nailed it every time. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. Um, so we did the Edward Film Festival. I think I did two or three of them. I know you did more. Um, yeah, I think I did four. No. I'm trying to. Th- I, I know I did two. I don't even know. Um, and I think you know it's it's with those when you're in college or in film school. It's you know it really is. It's like it's like anything when you're in school, even in high school. It's just to try to make people laugh. You know, it's like nobody does serious drama in twenty in forty eight hours in film school. They want to make That's people true. laugh, and so all these were just like comedy things. So you have a little more leeway because edits could be bad or the shots could be bad or something. But you just try to make people laugh. Now for the one we did, did we win best picture for that one? Um, at the Edward. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we won Best Picture, and I think what did we win? Did we win another one when I was out of school? <laughs> oh, um, we did Best Editing. I best think. Editing. Okay. So we, you know, I, I mean, you could say they must have been a success. We won something. Um, but more importantly, it. I think those two were a success because it was an intro to the way we shot later in life, where it was like run and gun, your favorite words. Running and gunning, gunning and running, um, and uh, taught us like you know what you just got to make it work. You know you got to you know you got to stay true to the script as much as you can. But if you can't, you got to make it work some other way. Yeah, and I think um, for all those projects, you know, we were really young. Like you said, it was kind of some of the first things that we really got to shoot at USC. Um, that didn't have just like a really strict kind of guide mm-hmm. to it, so we could kind of run off and do whatever we wanted. Um, and I do think, man, it, it was so sweet at school. You don't realize it, but you could just like do that kind of stuff. And you had so much time and like access to so many oh, different yeah. cool things. Like we I, shot in like I a small chapel, run, and yeah. it was like fine. I wish I could run back to USC and shoot without getting in trouble or seeming like a weird creeper. I know. I remember when I was shooting a student film, and I don't know why I did this, but I had a gun. I had a, a prop gun. I got it from, uh, I think I got it from Paramount's uh, prop house. And back in those days, you know, it was like, you know, they wanted to teach you. You got to get a permit. You got to get a, a safety uh, approval for this and all that. And I remember I had somehow, I somehow screwed up on getting the permit just to shoot in the location I wanted, which was one of the classrooms. Mm-hmm. And so they were just like, okay, well, you can't shoot in the classroom because you, you know, you need to get this person to sign off and they're gone for the weekend. So I asked if I could just shoot in the hallway and they said yes. And I remember calling the safety department. I was like, hey guys, so I got all the permits to shoot in the hallway. I'm going to use a fake gun. Would it just be, would it be safer for everyone involved if I just shot in one of the classrooms? And, and safety was like, yeah, absolutely. You should just shoot in one of the classrooms instead. I was like, thank you. Because they're really the ones who are going to be walking around on the weekend and at night saying, what are you doing here? And so I was able to kind of, just kind of the freedom of film school, I was able to take that shoot and you know use a prop gun in college and hold it up to somebody's head and not have any problems. Because if I was in the hallway, can you imagine if I was in the hallway and... Like my camera was behind a wall or something like that, and they saw somebody sitting on the floor with a gun against their yeah, head. I don't even think you could get away with that anymore. No. I'm sure USC's changed the rules on that. That's yeah. one of those things where it's like back in my day we used to blow <laughs> things up with fireworks. <laughs> Thanks for making me feel super old. But um, but yeah, I mean th- that was kind of like the beginning of our. I mean, you know, we all we all did short films in college, but those were more like you know they were during class, so you had your three weeks, four weeks to prepare, and you had a crew from your class that would help you out, but. 
I think the Ed Wood Film Festivals were very much our introduction into this really low budget, no budget, shoot it, got to get it done, got to get it edited, you're on a deadline, go. Yeah, totally. And I think it it, it does kind of make you flex certain muscles that maybe Mm -hmm. you don't, even if you're working on a regular set, you don't necessarily get to flex them as intensely. But it, it is kind of fun, too, because you get to pool together with a bunch of people so you like join the team and then yeah. you all get together and you sort of brainstorm ideas and you throw throw the ideas off of each other and come up with something and then work together to write it and then all of a sudden you're sort of like breaking off and doing certain tasks to try to get it done on time and then I don't know it's kind of a fun uh, it's kind of a fun experience now before you all fall for the uh, glamorous side that Alex is describing in this keep in mind that one of our last Edward Film Festivals Alex was wearing a mask from the Burger King King and was walking around with a robe on all night as our main character so that's true (laughs) glamorous yes Uh, in some aspects glamour not so glamorous in other aspects (laughs) Um, yeah um, so let's move and and on on a side note you know this goes back harkens back to the question of should you go to film school or not I we still work with all the people that we were on the teams with during those Edward Film Festivals. Um, yeah. we, we they're still a great friend of ours. Uh, we still talk to them all the time. time to do stuff with them. Yeah. We call them to do stuff with us. It's kind of like a, that's our crew. That's yeah, a, those exactly. are our guys and girls. Um, so then we move on to our other one um, that we did outside of film school. Um, so Alex had mentioned, it, we'll give you the title. This was called Hypnotismus. Um, that was a really uh, you know just a, a last minute. Um, everything about this was last minute. Alex had told me that, um, was it Ridley Scott was doing a contest? Ridley Scott Ridley was doing a contest for yeah. a short, for, well, you, you had to pitch a short film that could be turned into a feature that he would produce, produce. and they would finance. And Alex had this idea in the back of his head that he was always thinking about, uh, me and Alex really like trippy visuals, kind of like, uh, you know, fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of stuff and just Brazil and Terry Gilliam yeah. is amazing in our minds. Um, and so we, Alex told me about this, I think three days before it was the deadline. Yeah, and I, I didn't know about it until that. Yeah. I, I told you right when I found out about <laughs> it. So it's not like I was holding out and like, oh yeah, by the way. Um, and as Alex and I are want to do, want to do. Um, Alex said, "Hey, do you want to do this? We only have three days." And I was like, "Let's do it." Didn't even think about it, and we just kind of ran with it. Um, and yeah. it just so happened that this location we shot in was going to be. It was in demo mode, um, and it was going to be converted into a really fancy space and so we had access to it and so it was kind of like let's do it and it was so last minute we didn't have time to assemble a crew um no no we did not we stole so many shots we we stole shots in the subway yep and and for the most part we arranged it so that one of us could be shooting Mm -hmm. at all times even you know because we did have two other actors yeah so there were scene like big scenes uh, with other people, and but yeah. then there were just like a couple shots where we both were on camera and we didn't have a crew, so yeah. that was that was dumb and kind of difficult. Probably shouldn't have done that. But two actors and a dog. Oh yeah, and a dog. And yeah, a dog. The dog performed pretty well, better than most people in it, uh, yes, including exactly. me. Um, and we, I mean, we it was. I would say we shot it in 48 hours. We did have a day to plan it. And I remember because we had to go get props. We got some props. We had to spray paint some props. We had to um, maneuver other locations. Um, This was in like the beginning of the DSLR heyday. Um, 
Yeah, this was like I, I had just gotten a seven D. I had just gotten a five D. And uh we Yeah, I mean so we also didn't really have a ton of lighting. We kind of just Or equipment. We used I think maybe one or two battery powered, like really kind of the small on camera style LED panels way back in the day before they were even like of high quality. Yeah. Um so I think I'm pretty sure they were just like the cheapest uh, Chinese knockoffs I could find because I was poor. We had a um, medium range shotgun mic. Yep. Um, we had, which was again, why we didn't do a lot of dialogue. No, didn't do a lot of dialogue. Um, again, we had a knockoff like Kino Flow Diva. Oh set. yeah. So mm-hmm. we had a couple of those. Um, but and, for the most part, we didn't even use. Oh, we had an airy kit that we borrowed. Yeah. That's but for true. the most part, we didn't even use. And a crane. We had a Kessler crane that we borrowed. That's right. For one shot that one didn't really shot. turn out that well because we didn't okay. have a monitor. Yeah. Um, we, so, <laughs> so, so because of this was the DSLR era, we were able the start of it. We were able to pull off a lot of shots, steal a lot of shots. We, st- we shot in the a subway station on the subway, and nobody really questioned it. Um, and so that was helpful. Um, and how it went, I mean, that one, I it, it, it's funny. We got it done. We Alex edited it while I was at work. Um, and I remember going to his place after and sitting down he's like, all right, man, I'm going to export this thing and we're going to send it off. And it was, it was about just the saddest news I've ever experienced. It It was about six hours before the deadline. Yeah. So I thought we had plenty of time. I was like, yeah, okay, we've got this. I had just, I had like, I recently built Alex a new computer. (laughs) Um, he had done some awesome effect shots in it, done some color correcting, you know, some really cool stuff. And he hits render and it starts it starts at like a, it, an hour, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it just climbs and doesn't stop until it says 36 hours till render. Something like yeah. that. So- it was pretty disappointing, <laughs> and we just kind of like stared at it. And then, and then said, let's go get some beers. Yeah, exactly. We were like, okay, well, this is over. So, so in that sense, it was a is, failure. What's funny is we, we sat on that. We didn't, I never actually rendered it at that point. Yeah, we just canceled it. I was we like, just, whatever. So later on, I found the project again on my hard drive, like years later. Yeah. And I actually ended up going back and tweaking some things. And then... He already had another better computer again at this yeah, point. <laughs> and then I rendered it out and entered it into some film festivals. And we actually got into the New Filmmakers LA Film Festival. Yeah, we were interviewed by Videomaker Magazine. Um, yeah. uh, so that I, So I would say, like, our initial... Our initial goal with it wasn't met, so I would say it was not successful in that. Um, but in the fact that it got us into the new filmmakers festival, I would say it's a success. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> the attitude, <laughs> and now and then our most recent like forage into the uh, quick turnaround shooting over weekend was yeah. Well, actually, there was another one we did a. Uh uh, one called Pros and Cons. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one that was just for our own doing. Yeah, kind of. Again, but that one I think we tried. We we did it. It was for our own doing, but yeah. also it lined up with this Project Greenlight digital series. That's true. Yep, I forgot uh, about that competition. Good call. So it was also so my fiance is an actress, and she wanted some stuff, uh, some footage for her reel. So. I was like, well, maybe I'll just write something really quick. I sat down and like threw out this uh, this draft of a really short short about uh, 
these two uh, young girls that are con artists, mm-hmm. and uh, I tried to make it as doable as possible, and we ended up shooting that. Um, really, I think in terms of hours spent, I think it was something like six hours that we shot, but we had to do it over two separate days. Yeah, yeah, we had the location for a short amount of time. We had one location, uh, which was like an office-type location, uh, for three hours. That one we actually rented, but it was so cheap. It was the cheapest uh, location I've I've ever seen. I think I ended up spending like $100 on this location. Yeah, I still don't know what that location was originally. Was it just a a shooting location? Was it just a... I believe so. I mean, I don't... Yeah, It almost looked like somebody lived there, though, too, right? No, I don't. I don't think so. There was no place for anyone to live. It, it had like this weird back area with costumes. I guess, and then yeah. Almost like a weird back kitchen, and then it was just this big kind of blue sparkly. It reminded me of like my grandma's house back in the day. All used right. to have like glitter on the ceiling. Oh, all yeah, right. On, on like the the popcorny yeah. type ceiling, you know. And so this whole place was that type of like textured wall. It was kind of like a weird dark blue with and low like wall. little sparkles. And low ceilings, too. Low ceilings. Um, and we that was me and Alex um, doing camera directing and audio. And we had two actors, and that was... That was there were three actors total. But on that shoot on day that, at that location... That day, there were only two actors. Yeah, and we just... And uh, we planned it out to be able to shoot as fast as possible because we only had the three hours total. Yeah, in that spot, and it was—I don't remember exactly how many pages of dialogue it, it wasn't was. too bad. It was—it was probably I'd say about maybe three. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, the whole thing was about what five, six minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but we had to move quickly still, just because mm-hmm. I mean, the majority of it was in that one location. Um, so we ended up rigging up the lights up on the ceiling. We used the fluorescents that were built into the the space and we put gels on them. Oh, your favorite? What color? Steel green. Oh, beautiful. Steel green. Looks so good. Uh, gels on on the fluorescence and then we had some little airy um what are those things called? Low casters. Mm-hmm. Little low casters that we put up uh rigged up to like the little just give a little on the ceiling. Definition everything. And it was kind of we set up the lights so that we wouldn't have to move them as we were shooting. It was kind of a set it and forget it kind of thing because we didn't have much time to do other setups. Exactly. And the whole thing was handheld so that we could move quickly from one setup to the next um, and not have to adjust tripod and do that whole thing. And also yeah. give it the handheld feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so and that, that was... I'm, I'm pretty happy with how that turned out. That, that kind of... Yeah, I mean... It, it is what it is, but it, it didn't look bad. It looked good. I think the, the performances were really good. Um, yeah, I think uh, overall... Definitely worth the shoot. I mean, again, oh, yeah. it's like we wanted to do it for multiple reasons, and but mostly, I mean, it's just good to get out there and shoot stuff. And, yeah, uh, kind of dust off the old rust if you haven't shot anything in a while, and just kind of get back in the groove because it kind of gets the creative juices flowing. Yeah, and then uh, the most recent one we did was a hundred-hour film festival. We actually friends of Alex acting friends of Alex's fiance they wanted to enter this competition and this was kind of a you know you win prizes you get I think it was you get it screened somewhere and you get it on a DVD I don't remember exactly I don't what remember what the go, prizes went were to that but but that was a that was a that was a tough one that one was 
Um, you know, it's it's it was a meet on a Friday night and come up with ideas. The two lead people in charge of it all kind of like spearheading the whole thing, then wrote the script. Yeah. Um, after and- everyone came up with the idea, and then the next day we met and shot all day and all night. Yeah. Um, for, how long do you think that day was that we actually shot? Because we 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 met there at eight. A couple different locations. We met at the first location about eight. Remember that? Yeah. And then I broke the sound devices by dropping it and <laughs> breaking the screen. And there Yikes. goes yeah. He <laughs> And then I think I mean I I don't think I got home until six the next morning. Yeah. So it was because like a solid. 22 hours. My wife failed to wake me up and tell me that I had to switch my lineup in fantasy and then beat me in the playoffs. So yeah, I, of course. Yeah, I will never forgive her for that. Um, how convenient that was. Um, what a typical move. I know, I know. Um, and it, But see, that it wasn't that done then because it also was we went home and then people edited the two the couple edited it um god yeah. that just sounds so weird edited ed- 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 edited it edited it edited it edited it um they edited it um and <laughs> that's never gonna get out of my head now um and alex even had to go run and do some pickup shots uh the next day yeah it was the next morning uh on the beach monday morning and then monday also morning so we ran back to their uh their apartment and we shot one shot okay. at the apartment um and i and mean this one was interesting because unlike the other ones um we weren't really in charge no we were just kind of we the crew were brought on yeah. to shoot it and also um they wanted to shoot on our panasonic v35 instead of like a dslr or a camcorder like a c300 or something which would have been better i, I think we had mentioned that it is kind of i mean it was, i love the camera it was a beast it is a beast though it is not an easy moving camera and it's right. not probably the camera you want to use when you're doing a quick shoot no and plus the files are huge yeah although it does shoot proxies does and shoot all that proxy. kind of stuff but um we did shoot on 4K, and I think what the proxies were 2K, so they were still pretty big files. Uh, but I mean, it did come out looking pretty good. I mean, like obviously, I think no matter what, when you're doing this kind of stuff, yeah. I, I've never, I, I don't think, been happy with an entire project where I'm like everything looks no. really, really good. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be on point. If you, I, I it looked good. It, my problem was as the guy who's, you know, responsible, usually on sets for, for some reason, responsible for the sound, <laughs> the location we had, because it was a location we could use was hollow. And it just, there's nothing you can do in that location. Um, right. especially when the way the shoot was set up, it was a circle of people at like almost like an AA meeting type situation. And it's just impossible to get, great audio in that short of time there. Right. Um, and so I was a little disappointed with the sound, but there's nothing really you can do with that. Um, we did make it to the final round, though. Yeah, we we were finalists in the competition overall. Yeah. And I think we got a handful of shots that, to me, looked really good. Man, there is one particular shot. So for those of you who don't know what the V35 is, it's Panasonic's, I would say, re-entry into the cinema camera world. They've been gone yeah. for a little bit, you know. Um, and it's, so it was their like first real, yeah, real entry because real. the very cams that they had put out before were they were like broadcast cameras. Yeah. So, but what is so great about this camera is that it has dual ice, uh, dual ISOs, so you can really get a lot of um, 
a lot of detail in darkness without it getting grainy. There's actually the camera we used to shoot in the woods where we had very limited lighting and it looked great. It was overlit in some spots. So we did the shot outside with um, kind of like just like a street light being the only real main light we had. And then we used a celeb to kind of bounce some light on this guy who was out there. But when he lit a cigarette, it just looked so sweet. His whole face was lit up by just the match. Yeah, he was kind of backlit by the streetlight mm-hmm. and um, the celeb. And so when he lit the uh, the lighter, it kind of was the main illumination. Was it a lighter or a ma- lighter? I think it was a lighter, yeah. So, I mean, there are some shots in there that we definitely will put on our new reel that kind of just show some sexiness. Um, so, you know, I, again... It's hard to say that any of these were failures. We got out, we shot something, we delivered something, and we, we learned from our mistakes. We got some really good stuff from it. Um, and um, I, I won't say it's a failure. I mean, you can say it's a failure if you don't have the final, like, oh, we won something or this happened or something like that. But, I mean, I learned from every one of those shoots um, what to do, what not to do, and how to kind of just work with a group, especially when the group may not all be on the same page or may not be on – in all on the blah, blah, maybe not in on all the same information about what's possible and just kind of being able to quickly s- say things and move through things and, and move forward in a short time frame. Yeah. And I can say with basically a hundred percent certainty that that uh, shoot and every other shoot like that, that we've done has prepared me for some of the actual paying gigs that I've been thrust onto. Um, so, for example, I shot uh, a sort of narrative, but it didn't really have any dialogue video for a YouTuber called RCL Beauty 101. Um, and it was basically just like one long montage of just scenes and like vignettes, I guess you could call it, uh, all over the place, tons of different locations. We actually shot that whole thing in two days. And. Uh, I, I want to say it was something like 27 or 28 setups, uh, not not actual shots and angles, but like Ugh. scene setups that Ugh. we had to shoot in uh, 20 hours, under 20 hours. Um, so having that experience of, of shooting these 48-hour competitions and just these like kind of quick shoots that we have done mm-hmm. really prepared me for that scenario where all of a sudden now I'm doing it. And yeah, I had more of a crew. I had I had a gaffer and a grip. So it's easier. <laughs> um, it was a little bit easier. Yeah, but it, I mean, uh, you were prepared for it. Yeah, having the ability to think really fast because again, on that shoot, I didn't have uh, really a, a shot list I didn't know. I I had the script. They sent the script to me. Uh, But I was showing up on the day and walking through, not knowing really what we were doing next until they told me. So they would be like, okay, we're going to set up in this uh, house. We're going to shoot in this room, in this direction. Here's kind of what, here's the scene that we're doing. And I would say, okay. And then I would, I would light it with my gaffer and my grip and we would, we would set it all up. Uh, shoot it, and then they would say, okay, now we're moving over into this other room, and we're going to shoot this slumber party scene. Um, and it was just back, it was just that over and over again, moving back and forth between different rooms. Um, the pr- poor production designer also had to work with uh, 
you know, really limited budget and time and, and hammer out different looks. And I mean, again, I was surprised at how well it turned out for the amount of preparation that actually went into it. Um, but I, I would chalk that up to these kind of crazy shoots that we've done. And for more information about these, make sure you check out episode one where we talk about shot listing. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want, you we'll link to that in the show notes. Why oh, ooh, there we go. Show notes are fun. Yeah, there you go. There you go. No, I, th- I think you gotta, I mean, you know, there's famous stories about, for those who don't know, most productions take out production insurance. And what that means is that if something happens during production where it's just an utter failure. Investors get their money back. It's just part of the thing. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's just an insurance policy that's taken out to ensure that people don't lose their money to natural disasters or say, you know, your actor dies or something like that. And this is just what happens a lot. And you'll hear a lot of people say, Oh, you know what? Screw this. Burn the film, collect the insurance. This movie sucked. I don't think there's any situation that you can't learn from no matter what happens. Um, you know, so the whole idea of like, well, this movie was a failure, just get the insurance. I don't think that's ever true because like Alex said, it's like all these things that you do just prepare you for what you're going to come up against later in your career. Um, when you're working with a no to low budget, you're, you're going to be asked to do a lot at a very fast pace with not a lot of pre-planning or pre-production or uh, information. And having done something like a 100-hour film festival or a 48-hour film festival or just a 48-hour shoot, you can be like, what, I have a week to do this? This is nothing, guys. Or I have four days to shoot this? That This is nothing. Like, Not that you'll get cocky, but you'll have the confidence to be able to be like, all right, you'll slow it down in your head. You won't freak out. And you'll be like, all right, let's go on with this. We got this. Um, we, can, we can do this. So I don't think there's any reason not to do these, um, even if it's just for your own benefit. Because you learn so much from doing these, as you do with any shoot. Yeah, and I think nowadays uh, I've noticed that pretty much every shoot that I've done that's been for the web, whether you know YouTube or or uh, another web platform or whatever, uh, they're all like that. You yeah. Know? Um, and I've shot for like the big companies, you know, like Machinima and all that kind of stuff, and it's always that. There, I've never. If you're going to get into sort of the web space, which is a, a very kind of cool up-and-coming space that yeah. there's a lot of jobs out there, uh, especially in L.A., in mm-hmm. sort of the web YouTube space, if you're going to get into that, it is exactly that. It is exactly what we're talking about. Um, 100% of the time, i found. I've yeah. never yet been on a web shoot uh, that has, uh, you know, had really any more uh, prep or whatever than any of the shoots that we've done ourselves. Usually so. quite the opposite. Yeah. Because it's for the web. Um, exactly. So I think, you know, again, it's good, it's good to get these things under your belt, especially when you're doing them for yourself and, you know, you can just kind of see how it comes out and then you'll feel confident going into these other things. That being said, are there any patterns you, you see – that happen almost all the time on these short, like weekend shoots or, you know, um, 48 hour shoots or hell, even a hundred hour film shoot. Is there, are are there things you see that come up over, come up all the time over and over again, no matter how hard you try to plan? Yeah, I think definitely there's, 
no matter how hard you plan, it's just you're gonna be crunched for time mm -hmm. in one way or another. You might end up like making your your day, so to speak, uh, on the shoot, but then realizing that man, the post is really I'm crunching yeah. for time in the post. I've never f felt like oh man, I have so much time left. <laughs> I could have spent that time doing other things. No. Um, so I would say that's definitely one pattern is, is no matter how hard you try to stick to a plan, it's just like with this type of stuff, when you're using real locations and, uh, things it, you're not able to control, uh, things go wrong and therefore eat up time mm -hmm. you know, pretty frequently. Uh, I think I've noticed, and it, it, it goes with just filming in general too, but even more so when you're so pressed for time is that. There are so many people working on so many things and you need that so that, you know, it's a smooth running engine and it can get done in time that people also don't realize the time constraint because they're, they're like, they're not worried about the post or they're not worried about, you know, color correcting it and all that. And so what you run into a lot, which I've noticed is that, uh, you tend to, see people that are like, well, let me do this shot or pull this shot off and not understanding how much it, important it is to get, just get the coverage, get the coverage, get it done because you don't have much time. You can't come back and do reshoots because you are, you're on a deadline. And so while it may not be the sexiest thing, as long as you get the coverage, then you can go play around with it. You can have, you know, granted you may realize that you never have the time to get the shots you really, really want. As long as you have coverage, you can do something you can, you, you can can make, make something the, of you it. You can make the final product. Yeah. yeah. But if I mean, you don't have the coverage, you don't have a video. Yeah, and it's it's hard to, you know, it's easier to explain to people who are in the film industry, but for people outside the film industry, it it's just as impressive that you were able to pull off something that was coherent and edited together well and was well-performed and all that in 100 hours than it is that you had this really awesome shot. Like, like people, people outside the film industry, it's hard to explain to them because they don't really realize how long it takes to make a movie or how long it takes to do everything most of the time. But for people who are, you know, usually involved in these 100-hour film festivals and stuff like that, they understand how much it takes. So the fact that you're able to put together something, they're not going to wonder, like, why, did, why are these shots not the most exciting shots I've ever seen? They're going to be like, wow, you pulled it off. You came up with a concept. You wrote the script. You got the actors together. You shot it. You edited it. You brought it back and, and delivered it on time. Bravo, bravo, yeah. and and people, I found tend to want like they're always concerned about like, oh my gosh, we have to put the shot in to to make ourselves stand out against everyone else. It's like, you know what? A lot of people might not even finish, um, so just finish first, and, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, definitely. So, what do you when you're approaching these things? What do you do first? I guess it depends on what. I, um, what the situation is. Uh, some, you know, some of these, I mean, if it's a contest, you're given a prompt usually, and then you have to come up with a script. If it's my own project, I can kind of make, take my own time to pre-production it before we shoot, because usually when it's your own production, you decide to do it. You have a little more, more time, even if you only have 48 hours to shoot itself, you have a little more time beforehand, but say it's something where you're given a prompt and you have to come up with a script or something like that. I, first and foremost, think of everything that's at my disposal. Locations, equipment, cast, props. 
you know, you don't want to come up with this really awesome idea of, uh, you know, like Jesus coming back from the dead into modern times and you don't have access to a Jesus costume and you don't have access to a fake beard or whoever is, uh, you know, whoever your actors are don't have a beard. Um, so always, always, always think about what you have at your disposal because you don't have the time. You usually don't have the money to go out and buy everything you need. It just, it doesn't happen that way. It's, it would be nice, but usually these things happen on like a Friday night when everything's closed already and you don't have time to wake up in the morning. Sometimes depending how big your crew is, they can go get the the props and all that. But for the most part, you're up at 8am the next morning shooting a script you haven't even seen yet. Yeah. And this, this reminds me of uh, something that happened during one of our early uh, USC Ed Wood Film Festival shoots. Oh, man. Where um, it was written that Moses would appear. And oh, that's we, right. We did do three. I remember this one now. I forgot we, about this one. We didn't have uh, a, a person with a beard. and so instead, Nor a white beard. Moses a white had a beard. white beard. We're all uh, college students. God, so we weren't that stressed out. Instead of getting a fake beard, we just put <sighs> we put shaving cream on someone's face as if it were a beard. And beard to, cream is what we called it. <laughs> to be fair, I forgot about this one. God, there's probably a reason this one didn't win anything because it was so ridiculous. Um, and it was, and because again, like I said earlier, it was a. It, it's like you know this film school. It was, you know, the, usually the funniest ones win. Um, the one that won the best picture one year was just a single camera and a guy talking to a camera, but it was hilarious. So it's not all about the production value. So it was, it passed because everyone's like, oh my God, ha ha ha. It's a, it's a, it's a beard foam. Um, yeah. But if you were to go to like nowadays and do that, people would be like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, or I guess you just have to f- feel it out, you know, or like know your audience. I guess that's kind of what's important mm-hmm. because we we knew that yeah, yeah, you know, on that particular festival it didn't really matter and if we could take our weakness and turn it into perhaps a strength, like that's I think what we were going for, you know, because we thought it would be it would add uh comedy rather than us trying to like just find a cheap uh, beard somewhere and you know just yeah. like, like whatever like anyone any kind of crappy uh, high school Moses yeah. play <laughs> which it did um, <laughs> um, yeah and so I think you, you, you make sure especially if you are responsible for writing the script or involved in writing the script that you just use what you have at your disposal don't don't try and push it. Don't try and be fancy because sooner or later you're going to realize that you're out of time and you are still trying to get props or a location. Yeah, and I would also add uh, to that if you happen to have a team, if it is the type of thing where you're working with a team or you have brought on people to work with you, an important thing to do is to delegate tasks. Oh man, because I mean everybody always wants to do the main things. You know, they want to help write it they want to help direct it or whatever you know they want to act in it mm-hmm. but there's all these other little things that need to be done uh, in order for it to happen you know like picking up the props or researching where you can find certain things because a lot of times what what will happen is you'll be like oh yeah yeah this this is like this will be great i need this little this little monster thing to pop out of some dude's chest yeah blah blah, blah. fine Okay, but then when it comes down to it, you're like, oh, crap, I need to actually find some type of little monster thing. Like, where do I find that? It's it's May. 
there's no Halloween stores really open. Like, what am I going to do? Uh, and so then you have to kind of like, ma- you know, f- that person will either have to like make something or. So or- so talk about that because you did a B&H uh, master class. Yes. Um, and how long did you have to shoot? Because it was kind of the same idea. You had how long to come up with the concept, shoot it and deliver it? Um, we came up with the concept in one day. We kind of deliberated. So it was it was this thing where a bunch of filmmakers got together in New York and worked with uh, different uh, well-known filmmakers to create these little projects. Um, so I got to work with Vincent LaFerre on my project. What up, Vincent? And yeah, what's up? Hey, Vincent. <laughs> um, long, not, long time no talk. Uh, call me. Like How he's people, ever going to listen to this. Do, yeah. do that whole thing. Um, so what ended up happening was we kind of pitched ideas to the group. Um, then we chose maybe like five ideas okay. to of the ones that we pitched. Okay. Uh broke up into smaller teams and kind of fleshed out those ideas beyond just an idea concept into sort of like an outline and a mm-hmm. script. Okay. And then um the next day we read through the scripts. Um so there were about five uh scripts that we read through the next day and then we decided which ones we were gonna do? And yours won, right? Uh, yeah, mine was selected. I remember you texting me from a coffee shop in uh, New York, being like, "Oh, I gotta write this script. I gotta yeah. do it like in two hours." Yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Not only uh, did I have to write it, but then I had to immediately uh, once it was selected, I had to. In, well, they voted on who would direct it, oh. and they all voted for me to direct it. <laughs> of course, naturally. And so then I had to immediately start shot listing it yeah. um, to try to get some type of plan. And oh. it, it was just bonkers, like the whole scenario. And this uh, was one of the scenario. one of the things that actually made me realize that in certain scenarios, it's actually better to have fewer people. Because we had kind of a large group, and it wasn't that people weren't experienced or like they didn't know what they were doing. It was mm-hmm. just that it was almost too. It would have been much faster had I just been able to take the camera and run around and shoot it. Mm. Versus there was like a DP, an operator, a dolly oh. grip. We had oh. a sound person. We had like That's an crazy. AD. You know, like it was kind of a large group that got broken up into all these different smaller parts. Uh-huh. Damn. And uh, it it just would have been so much easier if I could have just run around and shot things, you know, because, again, it it came down to, like, uh, and actually, it it probably was chalked up to my inexperience with certain things because as a DP, like, that's kind of what I do a lot. Um, And shooting our own projects together, I'm used to having the camera in my hand and being able to find a shot. So it was one of the things that was a little bit more difficult than I expected was being able to tell the crew, like, this is where I want the camera without seeing it there first. You know what I mean? So without being able to take the camera and like point it in that direction, be like, ah, that's not right. Maybe if I should, Oh yeah, here it is right here. This is the shot. You know, I had to actually just like choose Without seeing it, yeah, which was crazy, and also when you're on a time crunch, it's not like you have a ton of time to like, you know, change your dis- your mind because again, it's like a whole process to get 
the the whole ship moving because you had you know 20 people which goes back to our idea of like just get the shots you need and yeah. and, and get it done yeah okay so anyway we did have this shot where a little monster thing burst out of the chest <laughs> so we had to to be to be fair if you if you, uh we'll put a link to the video i think it's online somewhere isn't it i don't know if it, it might, if it is we'll find it for you and put it up but it, it alex's video his short was a, like an homage to all the best scenes to some of the best scenes in movies you know um sure Risky business with a guy sliding out in his underwear. Yeah, uh, it's the, about so it was for B and H, right? Yeah. So it's about this guy who sneaks his way into the B and H store in New York City and messes around. It had actually an entirely different plot when it was written in my script, <laughs> but because of all <laughs> the issues that arose, it ended up not really having a plot and just being sort of like a... Homage. Yeah, to these movies, and then he escapes out the front door. Yeah. So you had the you had the, uh, the chest demon. Yeah, I had the, the chest burster from Alien scene, scene uh, in there, and we needed something to burst out of his chest. And again, it was not uh, Halloween time. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we sent someone out to find something. Luckily, again, this is like, I at that point, that was the only good thing about having the large group of people was when it came down to things like that was because I didn't even have to think about it. I just said, we need something, run and find something. <laughs> and so they, again, these people were not from New York either. So they were just wandering the streets of New York trying to find stuff. And I don't even know where I ended up finding it, but... It what was, just, was it? It was it was like a puppet. Oh, it was man. like a little hand puppet that had like a skull on it. Wow. And then Good we for them. We covered it in goop and blood nice. and just shoved it out of his shirt. That's beautiful. Um Yeah, so I mean like that that's just another example is that sometimes you just run into situations where you should only try and use stuff you have at your disposal because if not, especially when you have a smaller crew, you're gonna have people running around and you're gonna be short handed. And and I think that so what I do first back to this the convoluted question, <laughs> um, I always think about what we have at my disposal first. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and so what do you feel is the biggest struggle with these? I mean, it, aside from time, I think it's easy to say time is is the biggest struggle trying to get everything done in time. Um, but for like you know a weekend shoot, hundred hours, forty eight hours, what is the biggest struggle aside from time? I, I think it's getting a clear vision, uh, not only for yourself, but like expressing a clear vision to everyone else, I would say, because you have so little time to really flesh it out in your own mind, or at least mm-hmm. I think it's like, um, it's hard to say, okay, I ex- I know exactly how I want this to come out. And so I think that's kind of probably why in the end, uh, maybe things don't uh, – the whole entire project doesn't come out and you're like, oh, man, that's great. Is because you you are working on the se- – you know, by the seat of your pants mm-hmm. so often and you're like, this one scene – like I, I didn't really think about how this uh, transition would happen from this scene to this scene. So it's like chopping – or it's like it's not very smooth transition. You know what I mean? Stuff like yeah. that where – Again, you come, you think about coverage, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna get the, I'm gonna get the fifty-fifty. I'm gonna get the, the shoulders, mm-hmm. but then uh, maybe you don't think about the insert shots or like what uh, 
our friend Zach would call the connective tissue between the <laughs> scenes, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that kind of stuff uh, can be tough. And if you don't have someone on top of it to make sure, yeah, it, especially when you're working with such a small crew and it's just like you and me, Trevor, for example, mm-hmm. there's no one really checking you to make yeah. sure you're getting everything that you really need. It's just you guys. And so you can get into kind of like this fog or this haze. And so, and oh, yeah. and speaking of that is probably the real biggest struggle is sleep deprivation. Oh, Cause there, there comes, true. there comes like a really funny certain point in time where you think everything you're doing is awesome. Yeah. And that's usually after like the fourth or fifth Red Bull. Yeah. And like you guys broke for, broke for, dinner and yeah, you, you had pizza you're in like yeah. a food coma but then you're combating it with red bull yeah and you're just like i am making cinematic History. masterpiece yeah <laughs> i mean i would say for me it's you know it's it's the idea of because these are such group efforts because it's like a team it's not have like you run the biggest struggle i run into the biggest struggle when it's not predefined roles like everyone wants their stamp on it because they feel they're part of the team, you know. Um, and I say this as like someone who is all about like I don't like a film buy or something like that because I feel all films are a team effort. But at the same time, everyone has a predefined predefined role. Like, um, yeah, so not everyone can be the director. Exactly, and not everyone once. can like you know you you'll get thirty people that think totally different things for this shot or this idea or this how this line should be delivered, and and it's not. I don't want to go out and be like, you know, screw those people. It's it's because they they're part of the team and they want their voice heard. And it's it's you yeah, know and really every everyone in the film industry is creative exactly. in some way. And so they all do have ideas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of them are gonna be really great and some of them are not gonna be great. But like you don't have time or like the mental capacity to wade through with all that stuff when yeah. you're so crammed for time. It's just like you can't do it. So you're right. I do think people need to sort of like move into their roles and sort of live with that unless like a really big glaring issue comes up and then they could step in and say, Hey, well, we forgot this. Yeah. And that, and that holds true with any shoot, no matter how the length, but I think in longer shoots, there's, you know, people are hired for their position. This is like volunteering, you know, no one's getting paid. So you want to give them kind of ownership in one way or another without them taking control and, setting you guys back um i think it was nice on the 100 100 hour film festival that we did have a predefined role you know we didn't direct we just sat back we put the camera they asked us where the camera should go where where they should look how it sounded how it looked how the take went and that was kind of refreshing it was Um, nice yeah but at the same time you know we also had our opinion on what should be done and how this directing should be done and we just had to be like you know what let's step back this isn't our thing this isn't our we aren't the main people here and so we just got to make sure we don't interject too much and slow this production down. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't think people think about that enough Yeah, when they're doing it. They they think, I'm making this better. When I'm really, helping. I'm helping. When yeah. really they could actually be making it worse or and, and, slowing it down. And for the most part, they're doing it with the best intentions. But they, they just, they're like, oh, yeah, guess what? I'm, you know, if I, I can solve this problem, so I'm going to do this. And it's like, oh, my God, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Which brings us to the other question of how many people do you think you need to shoot a short in that amount of time? Because I think, I think we have run the gambit. We've had a crew of me and you. We've had a crew of 
10 people who all wanted to be directors. We had a crew of, you know, eight actors, but they also were willing to move equipment with us. Um, and then you had your, your kind of, I don't want to say horror story, but just your frustrating parts in the B and H thing out in New York. Yeah. I think, I, I think there's a sweet spot kind of in the, um, I, I would say like five to eight is like, like eight max, including the actors. Like, unless you have a, a project that requires like a lot of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to keep it small. Even like, even in like the writing phase, if I were writing it, I would prefer to write like a maximum of like four or five actors because, yeah. because just generally transportation like are going to take longer to shoot, to get all the coverage. Um, and it's just going to complicate things. Like if you can keep it really simple and like create a compelling story about mm-hmm. like two characters or three characters or four characters like that's the way to go yeah um and then also in terms of the actual crew you don't really need that much i think in an ideal world uh we've talked about this trevor we would be able to direct and dp um while having a separate person do sound and a separate person operate camera yeah and then we would both kind of like move around lights and do all that kind of stuff yeah I think that's an ideal world in that scenario. Um, Yeah, I would add one more person to that just because of the amount of time. I would say on crew, four would be perfect. Like, I would love four. Um, But I would also add a fifth. Four not including us? No, like four. Like you you just mentioned, like me and you directing and DPing, we have a sound guy, and then we have a, uh, you know, we have someone operating camera. Um, that being said, if we had to do away with one, I'd say the camera camera operator because the way we work is you can kind of run the camera. We can discuss the directing part of it, then work on the lights and all that. Um, if we needed to really slim it down, um, yeah. But I would add those four plus in especially in these scenarios, an editor, someone who's strictly there for editing because with computers these days, you what would be awesome. And people do this on set on big movies anyway. They they start editing before the filming is done, so they'll know what they're missing or what they they're um, what they need to pick up or what uh, like you said what shots are are not there because you're sleep deprived or something like that. But I know when we did the Ed Wood thing, we had you know we would be handing out footage to people halfway through it, and they'd start editing because of time, and so they would edit it together. And by the time we were done filming, we'd have the first half already done, or like you know first half if we shot it sequentially but you know like i wish on the hundred hour film festival we would have had somebody editing right away because that would have saved us time editing after we would have known what we missed and you know you're you're with these things like you said sleep deprivation is so big so we were up until six then those the the two main people who kind of put this team together had to go home sleep for two hours and then edit the whole thing and it's like yeah it's only a five minute short but Still, you have to go through all the footage, check all the 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 takes, to see which best performance you got. And so, if you could have somebody on set editing away from set, or at least just ingesting footage, huge. Yeah. Or and uh, if you could, if you can't have someone on set, so you don't have like the computing power to do that or whatever, even just having someone separate from the shoot that you can hand the footage off to to edit who hasn't been experiencing that long (laughs) shoot day. So they're like starting fresh Mm -hmm. 
would be extremely helpful oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, and and this also depends on if you're just doing a 48-hour shoot over the weekend and the edit doesn't have to be in at a certain time, then you don't really need an editor. But if it's like for a competition or you have a deadline you have to meet, editor is key. I mean, you know, back in the day they had DIT um, systems so hooked up to cameras, even film cameras, so they could start editing a rough while they were still filming, yeah, and so I would I, that would be if we had that on the hundred film hundred hour film festival would have been much smoother, I think. Definitely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's again, you're asking this person to do it for free, but if you find an editor, editors, straight editors are tricky people because they don't really want to be on set. Sometimes they do, but they don't really have their opinion always about like, oh, we'll do this, do this, do this. So they're not going to like intervene and get in the way during filming. They're just going to do their thing while you're filming and just taking in the footage and it's great yeah so let me ask you this what advice would you give to people that are trying it out for the first time i would trying say out this weekend shoot or 48 hours i would say festival. do a weekend shoot before you do a festival um just so you know what you're getting into um i don't want to throw somebody right into the fire when it's like oh guess what you have to not only shoot this in two days, but you have to edit it in one day after that with sound and any color correcting and and deliver it. I think that, especially for young filmmakers, um, it can be pretty discouraging. I yeah. mean, luckily we we did in college, and the the only thing was, hey, guess what? We we made a funny video and whatever. Um, it's not the end of the world. I know some teams that just kind of dropped off because they didn't have an idea and they just kind of like, ask you this. We don't want to do this. We want to go party and, and, and not have to worry about this. Um, That's true. And, and also the, the real festivals that you do, um, like the 48 hour, mm -hmm. those cost money. Yeah. Whereas the, the Edwood did not cost no. money. Yeah. And so you don't want to put in money if, if you're not prepared for what's going to come. Um, so, you know, do the 48 hour, do, I mean, we challenge ourselves all the time. We're actually going to be doing, I think it might be a course that we'll try, you know, push it out to people. We're going to try and do a shoot of a short where we only use one light. Mm -hmm. Um, we have these wonderful hives that kind of do the full spec color spectrum and they're bright. And with our V35, um, we don't need that much light and we have an idea and we want to we want to just challenge ourselves to try and shoot something with the little with the least amount of light and still make a really compelling story and those are the kind of things that are fun and kind of train you for bigger projects and so look at it as like you're training yourself for the shit show that comes with no matter how much planning you do no matter how much money you have there's still shit that's going to arise that is going to drive you insane. So look at it as a, as a challenge, as practice, um, and do a 48 hour or weekend shoot, um, without the added like stress of having to turn around and edit. Um, make, look at it as a challenge, as a learning experience. Cause it, it, again, it'll, it'll pay off. Definitely. I think, uh, for me, the advice I would give to people, uh, would be to pay close attention to the people that you assemble for your team. Like mm. Don't, don't just take people because they're willing to do it. Um, you know, if you have people that are eager and excited or whatever, that's great. But yeah, you need to, uh, uh, when you're talking about these like competitions and stuff, you, you need to sort of mitigate the problems that could arise. If you know that people, want to be directors but it's like you're spearheading it you're the director mm -hmm. and you can 
maybe talk to them ahead of time and say, Hey, so I know, uh, you know, this is a team effort, yeah. but we need someone leading the ship and yeah. because I am the one that put this whole thing together. <laughs> I think it should be me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, maybe like rude or people could see it as sort of like a, a crappy thing to do, but I think it's important. Um, I mean, that's why the roles exist. Like we already talked yeah. about, you know, you don't want a hundred people that want to be directors. So being able to say to someone like, listen, if you can take a, a different seat on this project, we'd love to have you do it with us. I mean, yeah. definitely like having people, uh, bodies they're helping can, can be helpful. But I think, uh, just making that decision carefully, uh, with purpose is important. So, um, and, and that being said, I mean, everyone in LA is looking for their break. Everyone. And so you're, you, you know, you don't have to worry too much about like, you're, you're going to be able to find a sound guy who only wants to do sound on your project, even if it's 48 hours or like, you know, a hundred hours, because they're just, if, if they like what they see in you, they're hoping that you bring them along as you make more projects because they're believing that you're making more projects. So like you can find, you can assemble a team that knows their roles pretty easily in LA. Yeah. And I think what happened with uh, Trevor and I, we went to film school. So like at film school, most people that we knew either wanted to be writers or directors. Yeah. You don't see sound guys in film school. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like in a, in a production, in a production program at USC. Yeah. So that was the problem that happened. You know, we had a lot of cooks in the kitchen, whether Mm -hmm. it came, when it came to both the writing and the directing. Yeah. Um, but I do think it, like you said, it's very, it's more possible outside of that world to yeah. assemble uh, a team of people that would be willing to do their one job and do it well. And as you work in the industry, you'll 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 build up your rolodex. I mean, me and Alex could probably because we're so fun to work with. I'm sure we could assemble a team in. I mean. What would you say, Alex? If we had minutes, minutes, snap of the fingers, they're all here working for us. No, I mean, if we had a project like a hundred hour film festival, I'm sure we could assemble um, a crew that have predefined, predefined roles, predetermined roles in about a day. Um, and, and that'll come with experience and time and working with people and expanding your network and, you know, working with new people and all that. But you, you, you can, you can definitely have too many cooks in the kitchen and something like this because, everyone's kind of vying for their their own piece of the pie. Yeah. All right, so let's uh let's move on to Is that it? Are we done talking about it? Yeah, we're done talking. All right, nah. Bored. Just beat that. Our two people who are still listening from the four people that started this podcast are done with it. Are over it bored. I know the other two people went off and started shooting something. (laughs) Yeah, good for you. I'll take that. That hey. Better than Um, nothing. So let's move on to our final segment that we usually do uh, so far in our five episodes. Uh, what's cool? What, what's cool that you've seen, Trevor? Guys, if you're old like me and Alex, this is huge news. I don't know if you guys realize how huge this is, but it has been confirmed with the original cast coming back, Bill and Ted 3. Bill and Ted. Boom. You know... Trevor's older than me. I've never actually seen Bill and Ted. I'm older by six <laughs> months, I think. Um, is is it good? What is Bill and Ted? Really? You've never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they go on the, the 
traveling uh, time, no. not traveling phone booth? No, you know, my, I think my only experience with Bill and Ted is at Universal Studios in like some kind of live show. They have some Bill uh, and Ted yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thing. Oh, no. So uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Is it's it been like a while. Doctor Who? No, if I remember correctly, and, and people out there, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a long time since I've seen Bill and Ted um, because I thought it was dead and gone and no one was ever going to do anything with it. <laughs> um they have to write, uh, like, do a history report for school, and they find this magic. They get this magic uh, phone booth, so they go back in history and bring all these historical figures back to the present time to to fill out their like presentation of of their history report. Um, so they're wow, like traveling. It's like the most. Oh, dude! Nineties. Oh yeah. Oh, it is so good. And then the second one, they run into death, and death travels with them. It is it, okay. Here's before the next podcast. You have to watch at least Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure one. You have to uh, watch it and then report back what you think. All right. Uh, so yeah, I think that's cool. Whole cast is coming back. Uh, most importantly, Mr. Keanu Reeves, who's also busy filming John Wick three. So this dude is all in if he's coming back for it. Yeah, he's going to do some murdering. Yep, and, and then, then uh, do some time travel. Then was also announced Matrix Four. You know, Keanu's <laughs> yeah. just making the gamut of uh, all of his old old also roles. Called Neo, where he becomes a pop star <laughs> wow. in the early two thousands. Ew, stop. Um, all right, what do you think? What do you think is cool as well? Uh, I just heard about uh, the Vimeo staff pick, which, mm. as some people know, is kind of like this honorary. Uh, nod that Vimeo gives to filmmakers uh, about their projects that they put on Vimeo, where they'll highlight them on the front page and everything like that. Look at it like a little badge on the video. And basically, they'll get some promotion and some street cred. But now, uh, Vimeo is making it into an actual physical award that you can win at film festivals. So, for example, they just handed one out, the first one, uh, at South by Southwest, which is kind of crazy. And I think it's actually somehow integrated into the festival. So technically, that person that won, mm-hmm. won an award oh, nice. at South by Southwest um, from Vimeo, which for pe- is kind of cool. For people who don't know the Vimeo um, staff pick, if you uh, haven't checked them out, there's some awesome, awesome films, awesome short vids. Um, and this coming directly from Vimeo, so take it with a grain of salt. But they said, uh, people said that 67% of staff pick alumni say, said that getting a staff pick helped launch their career. Yeah. 70- I've heard that. I mean, I think it definitely is something that, uh, is Sean, uh, has some clout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 72% of the alumni say that being a staff pick helped them receive paid or funded future work. So yeah, so, I mean, the, the, like it's nothing to uh, sneeze at, as they say. The Vimeo, <laughs> <laughs> bless you. Uh, receiving the staff pick is at Vimeo. I mean, I think it's a, uh, it's. I mean, any accolades are good accolades. So the fact that this is getting even more important is even cooler. Yeah, I think it's good. It's a great idea, and uh, because it does have cloud, I think they were able to make that transition. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think it's cool. Yeah. I'd happily take a oh, hell yeah. staff pick award. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And then uh, finally for me, um, this cool little piece of software that has been announced by the company Picture Instruments. It's called Image to LUT. And, you know, we were talking about in the in the previous podcast about how, you know, imitating directors and all that. You were like, yeah, you got to do it. And I was like, don't copy people, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, Alex is right. Um Imitating people is imitating people, shots, you know, all that is a great way to learn. 
And what image to LUT does is that you can take any image you want, any image you find online, and put it through the program, and it'll punch out a LUT to make to add to your um, your video or to your film to to imitate the look of the picture that you like. So, say you have a really cool picture, you love the lighting, you love the color, um, you can copy that image style into a LUT that then you can put into your camera. For those who don't know, LUTs LUTs are Alex. Um, stands for lookup table. Ooh, I almost stumped them there. Um, and it's basically, uh, like almost coordinates that you... Like a preset. Apply. Yeah, like a preset that you apply to uh, an image. So if you have like a log footage or a raw footage, it's it normalizes it and allows you to load the LUT into either the camera itself or the monitor that you're viewing it with so that you're not looking straight at the log, the flat log footage, which is not actually really meant to be viewed. Yeah. Um, and so then you can light and frame and shoot with that. And then in post, apply the same LUT so you get the you know same look that you got on set uh, and then make your tweaks from there. Yeah. So say you have a, a, a picture or an, uh, a video you really like, you're able to kind of, uh, you know, look through the settings that the 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 software creates for the LUT and kind of get an idea of how to recreate those images on your own. Now you can just use that LUT and go from there, or you can just start learning about how to manipulate your images, your lighting, your colors, and all that to to achieve a look that you really like and people like and all that. So I think it's a little cool piece of software. I think it's going to go for about $47, which isn't that crazy. Um, and it's a great way to kind of give you a look that you really are trying to achieve in uh, post-production. I like that a lot. That's really cool. Yeah. That was a good find. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Make sure to get this episode and the show notes by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode five. I can't believe we made it to five. We'll yeah. see how far we go. And don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and hit the old subscribe button or hit it on whatever tool you're using if you're not listening to us in iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating. Um, Please. Just because it helps us. Yeah, you know, sure. If you want to sort of boost our, our cred a little bit. Street be, cred. Our nice. podcast cred. Very nice of you. We would love you forever. And we might... Uh, give you a shout-out, uh, maybe. Yeah, we should. Sure. Sh- maybe we should shout-out to everyone. Once we once we, this thing gets launched, we'll shout-out to all the people who give us five-star reviews after the episode. Yeah, I don't hate that idea. I don't, like, I don't hate that idea. And also make sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit. Sounds good. All right. We'll, we'll not see. We'll, we'll talk to you guys next time on episode six of No Budget Filmmaking. See you.